0: Welcome to the City Church Cardiff podcast. We're an Elim Pentecostal church in the center of Cardiff dedicated to bringing hope in the name of Jesus. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you're inspired and impacted by this message. Well, today we're continuing in our sermon series, Just Like Jesus, where we're walking slowly through Jesus' words in Matthew 5 to 7, the Sermon on the Mount. We're taking our time to explore when Jesus talked about what it looks like to be a disciple, what the character and behavior is of somebody who follows Jesus. And as we're allowing Jesus' words to speak to us and to shape us, we're growing in what it means to be just like Jesus. You know, when we've made a commitment to Jesus, we're not just saying that we believe in Jesus, we're saying that we're following him, that we're giving every aspect of our lives to him. It's about being his disciple, about following him and doing the things that he did. We were made in the image of God. And as those that follow Jesus, we're made to become more and more like him, to develop Christ-likeness, to become who we were always meant to be, which is just like Jesus. So we're carrying on in Matthew chapter 5, reading from verses 27 to 30 today. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. So these verses begin with the second of the six antitheses that Jesus states in Matthew 5, that you have heard it said, but I tell you. You remember the first antithesis that Jesus said in this group was when he talked about murder and anger, and we explored that in a sermon a few weeks ago. These statements are Jesus bringing uh, an expansion or even a a redefinition to what the Pharisees were teaching at the time. Now, remember, these statements aren't Jesus doing away with the law. Jesus didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. And so when Jesus said, you've heard it said, when it was said, you shall not commit adultery, he's referring to the law, the seventh commandment. But then he brings this radical redefinition. You see, what happened here is that the Pharisees and the scribes, they'd followed the letter of the law. They taught that if you don't commit the physical acts of adultery, if you don't have sex with somebody who's not your spouse, then you're righteous. You've obeyed the law. But God's standards are completely different to the Pharisees. Jesus says that's not enough. He says in verse 28, I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. This is way bigger. You see, the law had been interpreted as you can think what you want. You can imagine what you want. You can let your mind wander as far as you want as long as your physical body doesn't break the law, as long as your physical body refrains from doing what you're not supposed to do. Now here Jesus makes it absolutely clear that God isn't only concerned with our outward actions. God is concerned with our hearts. Jesus is saying here it matters what's going on on the inside of us. It matters what we think and what we feel as well as what we do. Now, whereas other people may only see what's going on on the outside, God can see our hearts. He knows everything about us. He knows every thought and feeling and disappointment and desire, and He's concerned with the state of our hearts. You know, too often you hear stories, don't you, of famous people who are surrounded by admirers and have all the material wealth that they want, but they're utterly depressed inside. Or people who are really successful and seem to achieve so much, but they're racked with self-doubt and low self-esteem. It matters what goes on in our hearts. And God truly knows us. He made us. He knit us together in our mother's womb. He knows every single hair on our heads. He knows what makes you tick. He knows what makes you laugh. He knows what winds you up a bit. He knows what gets you excited. He knows what makes you happy. God knows you inside out. And you know what? If that makes you in any way uncomfortable, know this. God loves you. God loves you so completely and unconditionally. God loves you. So God cares about the heart. In fact, God cares about our whole beings. He cares about our inner life and our outer life matching up. There shouldn't be a discrepancy between He wants us to live lives of integrity. Jesus is saying here that it's possible to sin in our hearts, to sin with our thoughts, and no amount of outward performance or of rituals or of law-keeping will be enough to save us from our sin. That's what we see in the Gospels and what Jesus calls out, the contrast of the religiosity of the Pharisees, this outward behavior compared to a picture of the kind of life where our outward appearance is a true reflection of what's going on in our hearts. One of my favorite social media accounts is called Very British Problems, and it's this kind of um, highlighting of the quirks of this nation. Now, one of the things that British people can be known for is not saying things directly as a British person who is quite happy to say things directly, it's often a source of amusement or sometimes frustration of mine. So it made me laugh when I saw one of the posts of very B- British problems that was a translation guide, a British translation guide. This is what it read. Meanings of the phrase, we'll see. Translation, no. <laughs> Meanings of, maybe. Translation, no. <laughs> Meanings of, could do, translation, no. Meanings of, I think about it, translation, no. Meanings of, let's talk about it later, translation, no. Meanings of, I see how I feel, translation, no. I'm so sorry if I've just burst somebody's bubble and you've been sitting there thinking, no, I thought we were gonna talk about it later, they said. The answer's probably no. God calls us to live a life of integrity where what we say and do on the outside matches up with what's going on on the inside. It's a reflection of our hearts that there wouldn't be any kind of mismatch. Well, let me give you a challenge this morning to see if you're awake. Can you pat your head and rub your stomach at the same time? Come on, everybody, give it a go. Pat your head, rub your stomach. Okay, some struggling. <laughs> now, once you've mastered that... Switch hands. (laughs) This is so fun to watch. (laughs) It's hard to get your two hands to do two different things at once, isn't it? Well, it's even harder to try and act one way while your heart is saying something completely different. Now, the problem when there's a mismatch, when we reduce things to following rules outwardly but not having our hearts transformed is, well, firstly, it's really, really hard. But secondly, it leads to the kind of thinking that says that God is in some way withholding from us, that he's kind of spoiling our fun, that he's kind of, you know, telling us to stop our natural desires. Of course, this is what happened in the Garden of Eden. It tells us where that leads. The fall happened and sin was introduced. And it started with the lie of the serpent saying, God is withholding from you. God knows that if you eat of that tree, well, then your eyes will be opened and you'll be just like God." And so instead of the lie that God is somehow withholding the best stuff from us, we can know the truth that God's way is better. God's way is better. And he loves us so much that he doesn't expect us to just try really, really, really hard to do the right thing and follow his ways. Instead, he gives us a new heart. He gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit to live within us, to help us to follow His will and His ways, to get rid of the stuff in our hearts that doesn't belong, and instead to fill our hearts with God's ways. And that's what happens when we spend time in God's presence. He keeps on filling us with His truth and with His love and with His goodness and with His ways. God gives good gifts. God is generous and kind and loving and faithful, and He gives good gifts. And he's given us the gifts of sexual attraction and fulfillment to use in his way, which is in the context of marriage. You know, these gifts, they become distorted when we use them outside of the way that God originally intended. Jesus is saying that the gift of sexual attraction is not meant to be distorted by looking at somebody lustfully who is not our spouse So God is concerned with our hearts about what's going on on the inside of us. And the way that we can respond to Jesus' words here is to prioritise purity. Prioritise purity. It's to see the purity of our hearts as being essential when it comes to becoming just like Jesus. Now remember a few weeks ago, we talked about the first words in the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes. And this is where Jesus declared, who was blessed in the kingdom. And the sixth Beatitude was, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Those who are just like Jesus are pure in heart. A pure heart is one that's not polluted, a heart that's been cleansed by God, a heart that's fully devoted to God and his will. And those that follow Jesus, well, we know that the condition of our heart matters. It's so important because the impurities is the stuff that gets in the way of our relationship with God. And so when we prioritize purity, we welcome God into our hearts to search us and to cleanse us, to make sure that our hearts are fully devoted to him and his ways. So let's carry on with our passage from verse 29. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. This just got real, huh? (laughs) One minute Jesus is talking about lust, the next minute he's talking about gouging our eyes and chopping off hands. What's going on? Well, you've probably guessed that this isn't literal. Jesus is using hyperbole, exaggerated metaphor to make the point, but the point he's making is very real. The point is that we've got to take sin seriously. We've got to take sin seriously. Jesus paints a picture of such extreme measures because he's making the point that rooting out sin is essential to being a Jesus follower. He's saying that when we don't take sin seriously, we'll look at the destruction that it leads to. Jesus talks here about the eye and the hand, what we look at and what we touch, what we view and what we do. You know, our senses, they're like the gateway to our minds and our hearts. And that's why it really matters what we choose to look at and listen to, for example. You know, it might feel like we're being bombarded with sexualized imagery, with sexualized song lyrics, with um, provocative pictures, that kind of thing. It's all around us. But we do have a choice of what we turn away from. We do have a choice of what we switch off. We do have a choice of what we linger on or don't. You know, we need to recognize that when we linger on this kind of stuff, it enters into our hearts. You know, we live in a society where sin is not taken seriously. It's a word that's used to sell really good ice cream, that kind of stuff. You know, it's, it's kind of used in a jokey, fun way. It's so good, it's sinful type of stuff. Or some diet programs, they use sins as the treats, You know, as long as you eat all your fruit and vegetables throughout the day, well, you know, a bit of cake or chocolate isn't doing you any harm. It's in your sin allowance for the day. You deserve it. But the thing is, is that life doesn't really work like that. You know, you can't get up and be like, you know what? I'm going to give to charity today. I'm going to let those two cars out at the junction. I might even pay for somebody else's coffee. And so that should leave me with enough to be able to gossip about my colleague. Or the idea that, you know, tomorrow I'll make sure that I'm the one that first volunteers to do the washing up in the staff kitchen, so that should leave me enough sins to tell that person in accounts what I really think of them. It doesn't quite work like that, does it? Or sometimes we kind of rank sins as depending on how much people see them, as if people are the judge and not God. You know, one of the things that God's really been prompting us about here at City Church is about praying for our streets, for our neighbourhoods, for our communities, about getting out and prayer walking And so earlier this week, the staff team went and prayer walked the streets around the church building. And as we were walking, I couldn't help but notice just how much rubbish there is out on the streets around here. And some of it's in bags, but some of it was just sort of out on the street. I saw shoes and suitcases and plastic bottles and all sorts of stuff just out there. And you know, when you randomly see a shoe out on the street, you can't help but make it grab your attention. When you randomly see a pile of clothes just dumped there, well, of course, it grabs your attention. But here's the thing whether it's tied up neatly in a bag or whether it's on show, rubbish is still rubbish. Rubbish Rubbish is still rubbish. You know, we sometimes kid ourselves that if something's hidden, well, then maybe it's not having as much of an impact. But you know, it's never hidden from God. It's never hidden from God. Sometimes people think that sin is just the really, really bad stuff, like murder and stealing and adultery, that that sort of thing is just the really bad stuff. And if we're not doing that, well, we're basically just a good person. There's a story of a man who walked from New York to San Francisco right across America. And when he was asked, what was the toughest part of the trip? He said it wasn't climbing up the steep slopes of the mountains. It wasn't even getting through the hot stretches of desert. He said, the thing that came the closest to defeating me was the sand in my shoes. We risk justifying sins as if they aren't really a big deal, particularly the ones that aren't visible to other people. But like grains of sand in our shoes, they might not be on show, but they're going to have a significant impact on our walk. These verses, they show us that God takes sin seriously, that sin is not harmless or not a big deal in some way, but that sin leads to destruction James 1.15, then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. So Jesus takes sin seriously and also takes seriously our responsibility to deal with sin. Jesus said, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out. If your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. What he doesn't say is, if the way that woman is dressed causes you to stumble, make sure she covers up a bit more. What he doesn't say is, if the way that guy looks causes you to stumble, make sure he's just not invited to the meetings that you're in. Jesus is clear that the responsibility for our own sin lies firmly with us. He doesn't give us any option here. There is no room for us trying to put the responsibility on somebody else. You know, quite honestly, it's much easier to impose rules on other people about how they're supposed to dress, about how they're supposed to behave, rather than address the issues in our own hearts. But Jesus says, if your right eye, if your right hand, this isn't about what someone else might be doing or saying or wearing. It's about us. You know, when you see someone else as the cause of your sin, there's a risk that you view them as a threat. So then you start trying to figure out, well, how am I going to neutralize the threat? Rather than recognizing that the threat is not external, it's internal. The threat is not someone else, but what we allow to happen in our own hearts. Can I tell you, the thing to eliminate is not your interactions with other people. It's the sin in your own heart. And when it comes to avoiding looking at other people lustfully, the answer is not to look away from people or try and walk around as if you've got blinkers on. It's to look people in the eye. It's to look at other people not as objects for our own fulfilment or potential risks, but as brothers and sisters made in the image of God. You know, when we view people simply as objects of sexual desire, we don't see them as real people with real relationships and real hopes and real dreams and real struggles. Instead, we just see them as physical objects. But when we look at others as made in the image of God, well, it changes the way that we see them. You know, this is one of the the many problems with pornography. It's dehumanizing. It is utterly impossible to view sexual imagery like that and see somebody as made in the image of God. It's utterly impossible. Pornography only ever objectifies people. And you know for people who watch porn it also changes the way that they look at other people in their day-to-day lives it changes the way that they look at people that they're in relationship with you know it can't be underestimated the harm that porn does to people's brains to their relationships to their loved ones to themselves so can I encourage you if this is something that you're struggling with or even if this is something that you're impacted by because you're in a relationship with somebody who struggled with this talk to somebody talk to somebody you trust talk to one of the pastoral team You know, we believe that there is freedom in Christ and you don't need to walk this journey of freedom on your own. So when we take sin seriously, it changes the way that we look at others and it also changes what we choose to look at and what we choose not to look at as well. So what do we do about this? Well, one practical way that we can take sin seriously is to commit to confession. Commit to confession. You know, we can allow the Holy Spirit to reveal in us the areas that we need to confess to God. 1 John 1, verse 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. What an amazing promise that is when we come in repentance, when we come and confess our sins to God. You know, you might find it helpful to confess to somebody else, someone you trust, another Christian. James 5:16, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. You know, some people, they find it helpful to have someone to be accountable with, someone that they can share about when they struggle in this area in particular. You know, sharing with somebody else, it brings things into the light. The devil wants things done in darkness, because when things are hidden and in the dark and secret, that's how they can take a grip. But when we bring things into the light by sharing with somebody else, well, we remove the power. Confession is powerful, And it's a firm demonstration that we're prepared to take seriously the issue of sin. So Jesus wants us to realize the seriousness of sin. And remember, earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 5.20, Jesus says that the um, disciples that the righteousness of his disciples should surpass the righteousness of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And remember, these were the people who were externally the most moral, upright people of their day, the people who meticulously were following the letter of the law. And Jesus says that we who follow him, we are to be even more righteous than they are. You know, the only way that that is possible is by recognizing that sin affects our actions as well as our hearts, our behaviors as well as our thoughts, our inner life as well as our outer life. And so we're to realize the seriousness of sin. But Jesus doesn't just leave us in our sin. Instead, he gives us a hope of transformation. He doesn't say, if your right eye causes you to stumble, well, then that's it, you're done for. He doesn't say that. Instead, he says, get rid of the stuff that causes you to sin. Cut off the stuff that means that you sin. The Apostle Paul, he picks up this theme in Colossians 3.5 when he says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. You see, our hope doesn't come from rule following. Our hope doesn't even come from trying to muster up enough strength ourselves. Our hope can only be found in... Come on, church, we know this more. Our hope can only be found in in Jesus. Our hope is only found in Jesus. You know, not only does Jesus tell us here that it's possible to resist lust, but he says it's essential if we want to walk in life and not death, if we want to walk in the light and not in darkness. You know, one of the barriers to transformation in this area of our lives is the idea that some have believed that lust is just something they're always going to struggle with that it's just always part of how they're wired, that it's just kind of part of their character. You know, they like walking and watching films and looking at women. Or they like cross-stitch and chess and checking out men. You know, it's just kind of part of their character. It's a hobby almost. Now, here's the problem with this way of thinking. If you think it's just how you're wired and it's kind of a natural part of how you were made, then this means that God made a mistake. Because it's clear here in this passage that Jesus considers looking at somebody lustfully who is not our spouse is a sin. And he takes this sin seriously. So if you think you're wired to do that kind of thing, then what does it say about how God created you? But I don't believe that God makes mistakes. And I believe that we're made in his image. Theologian Scott McKnight says, The brain is wired for both sexual pleasure as well as for sexual fidelity and rugged faithful commitment. It's not either or, it's both and. Sexual pleasure within commitment and faithfulness. You know, or maybe you've recognised, well, it's not how you're wired, but because of the kind of fallen nature of humanity, well, lust is something that some people just always struggle with for the rest of their lives. But the problem with this way of thinking, it denies that God can deal with this kind of sin, as if the Holy Spirit can address when we've got unforgiveness in our hearts or hatred or anger, but when it comes to lust, well, it's just a bit stumped. You know, I don't believe that God looks at any sin and goes, I don't know what we're going to do about that then. Jesus didn't die on the cross and rise from the dead for some of our sin, but all of our sin. And maybe somebody needs to hear that this morning, that Jesus broke the power of sin. We are no longer slaves to sin. We live in freedom because Jesus has paid the price for our freedom. It was for freedom that Christ set us free there is nothing impossible for God. There is nothing beyond God's redeeming power, including our sexual attraction and desire. Author of The Great Sex Rescue, Sheila Gregoire, wrote, we're not to fight a perpetual battle, we're to win the battle. Sexual sin can feel like a thick chain that ties us down, but we're called to put lust to death and live in freedom, and we can So there is hope of transformation in this area of our lives when we partner with God. Now, if we're going to see transformation in this area, whether it's in your own life or in the lives of others, I think we need to believe for better. Believe for better. Why don't you turn and say to somebody else, believe for better. Believe for better. Let's not settle for thinking that life is just meant to be lived in this permanent state of struggle with this. Let's believe for better. Let's believe for God's way. Let's not fall for the lies that this sex-saturated culture tells us, that human beings are just made this way. Let's believe for better. Let's believe for God's way. Let's not fall for the lies that says, well, once our kids are exposed to this kind of stuff, well, that's it, they're lost down a track. Let's believe for better. Let's believe for God's way. And if somebody comes to you and confesses their sin in this area, you need to believe for better for them in their life. If you are struggling with a thought process or a habit in your own life, believe for better in your own life. If you know somebody else who is wrestling and struggling, believe for better for them. Believe for better because God's way is better. God loves you way too much to leave you where you are. And he's the God of transformation, the one who breaks the chains of sin, the one who destroys the enemy's scheme, the one who gives us the power to overcome. You know, in these verses, in Matthew chapter 5, we see that God has a concern for the heart, that it's important what goes on on the inside of us, what we think about and what we feel. God wants us to live lives of integrity where our inner life and our outer life are matched up. You know, the way this truth can impact our lives is when we prioritise purity. We prioritise purity by knowing that God sees our heart and allowing him to come and cleanse us from the inside out. Now we see in these verses as well the seriousness of sin. Jesus doesn't just brush away certain sin or give a bit of a wink to it as if it's no big deal. He takes it so seriously that he says that we're to cut out what causes us to sin. We're to take responsibility for our sin and to keep our focus on what we need to do. And the way this truth can impact our lives is by committing to confession, to spending time re- repenting to God and confessing to God. And we can also confess to other trusted Christians, somebody that we trust and know, uh, and maybe we can uh, have accountability with us to help move forward. And thirdly, in these verses, we see that there is hope of transformation That Jesus doesn't just leave people in their struggles. That Jesus doesn't just say, well, that's it, this is how it's always going to be. That when we've committed to following him and spending time with him, he transforms us from the inside out. But we need to believe for better and not get stuck in this cycle of thinking that this is how it's always going to be and nothing will ever change. God's way is better. So let's commit to following his way as we become just like Jesus. Can I invite you to stand we hope you are encouraged by today's message. To find out more, visit our website at citychurchcardiff.com or find us on social media.